I want to thank all of our listeners for several years of dedicated and loyal listening throughout the Halo Talks 400 podcast completed to date. We're going to 1,000 by 2024. If you're so inclined, we'd love to have you go to iTunes for us, fill out a review so we can keep this podcast rolling globally. We are now on Chartable's top lists and moving up the charts. Also, if you want to educate yourself in the new year, please go to thehaloacademy.com. Take a look at what we've done with 150 executives in the Halo sector to get them smarter, get them prepared for capital raises, and also more winning. Thanks. Have a great season. Let's go. This is Pete Moore on Halo Talks NYC. I have the pleasure of bringing in from Jersey City, entrepreneur, serial entrepreneur, Arnab Zomo.fit. Welcome to Halo Talks. Thanks, Pete. Appreciate it. Um, I'll, I'll say New York City uh, more so than Jersey City just because uh, people know New York City a little bit more, but it's right across the river. Um, it's, up, York- it's up and coming, so it's good for you know, <laughs> the entrepreneurs in, in, in all of us. So, uh, uh, well, good, good to have you on the show. Um, you know, we've uh, we've been tracking everything going on, on the digital side. So maybe talk about how you got into the industry uh, and then we can kind of back up and, and talk about some of your other uh, ventures that I find intriguing. Sure. Yeah. Um, so I guess short story in terms of getting into the industry. I love fitness. I work out about five days a week. Um, during the pandemic, I found that uh, virtual fitness was just not there. Uh, you know, Using the different Peloton technologies out there, Nike Fitness Club, they're pretty cool, but it just felt very lonely to work out during the pandemic. What I saw was really interesting was that uh, local New York City gyms, uh, while the while this whole city was shut down, they're actually running live Zoom classes to um, uh, to monetize uh, while they're shut down. And I found that to be really interesting. And that was kind of my entry point into uh, helping the fitness industry with my tech bro background. Right. Well. So when you kind of looked at the different options, you know, there, there's some streaming companies that are out there. We don't need to name them uh, right now that are providing that service. Did you see that there was something lacking and you said, hey, I can optimize this? Or are you an entrepreneur that says, you know, regardless of what someone else is doing, you know, if I'm passionate and I dig deep, I'm going to come up with a better solution? Well, before I started, I actually investigated quite a bit in terms of uh, what works, what doesn't work and what these gyms are using. There's a reason they're using Zoom over these popular streaming platforms. Zoom is really easy to use. Venmo to take payments is really easy to use. Um, I think the miss or the um, the way that these other streaming companies are structured, uh, you need a computer science background to actually set it up, uh, start streaming, put the whole workflow together. Um, it's not built for fitness. Generally, these streaming companies are built for um, general kind of use cases. And then you have to use the APIs, string it together and make it work for your system, which is too much for most fitness professionals. Got it. So when, when you looked at the industry, you know, we have not been notoriously big spenders uh, on technology, on software, on, on any kind of new, you know, innovation. So obviously the pandemic, you know, pushed all that demand forward, but in your calls that you've had with potential clients, you know, are they asking the right questions? Um, I think what I've learned over time is you can build the best technology in the world, 
um, until you test it with customers and you um, get some feedback on it and they know how to use it, it, it doesn't mean anything. Um, so yeah, there's it's a lot of customer conversations and kind of testing out what we're building. Um, that's what that's what we need to do. Got it. So, you know, harking back to some of your other uh, ideas, it seemed like, you know, back when you were a child, there was this kind of like inventions coming out of you um, at, at the dinner table. So, you know, maybe, uh, you know, give us a few vignettes, if you will, of, you know, kind of what what turned you into this idea generator and how, it, you know, you felt confident um, that, hey, I'm going to be an entrepreneur as many times as I feel like it. Yeah. Yeah, it's a good question. So I never intended to be an entrepreneur. Um, I thought after after um, seeing some of these villainous CEOs with billions of dollars, I just thought it was not very. Uh, it, it, I, it was not very appealing for me at that point. Um, but as a kid, I was a fixer. I love fixing things. Um, I would be the one, the kid that's you know fixing a radio, for example, that was thrown in the trash, taking out the trash, try to fix it, try to make it anew. Um, and I got into computers early in my life. I was lucky enough to have a computer. And it was, it was pretty, back then it was like a Tandy, it was, it was kind of an early machine, but I was, th- sure. I was really surprised what you could do with the computer. And I upgraded the machine, I built my own machines. So I was a tinker, uh, the kid that loved kind of fixing things and, and building new things. It was just in my DNA to do that. And then, you know, you, you obviously worked with, uh, you know, in government, how did, how did you get to that stop on the uh, Obama administration? Had, at one, how were you qualified? Um, to what were you actually doing in there? So, so I'll, I'll start with, I'm not, I was never qualified for that job. I don't think I was. <laughs> um, so, so the way I got it was, um, uh, you know, I was working as an engineer uh, in, in Manhattan and it, it was, I didn't see my life. I was looking at myself, you know, doing a lot of CAD work, a lot of design work, seeing a computer. I just didn't see my life turning out that way, like long-term. So I saw there was a Senator Obama then running for office I had some friends that worked in the campaign. They're like, hey, uh, do you want to come out to the middle of Ohio and and run a field office and be a field organizer for Senator Obama and, and try to get him to into the presidency, into the White House? I thought it was a long shot. I didn't think the country was ready for the first black president. And so I was like, hey, let's try it. Um, let's get out there and, and try to try to uh, win some votes. And and while I was on the campaign trail, I just learned a lot in terms of in terms of talking to voters, talking to um, people in the campaign. It was really eye-opening experience for an engineer, a nerdy engineer, to right. um, be more social. So it was a pretty interesting experience there. So, so once you uh, w- once he was elected, you were uh, were there a selection of, uh, of of job opportunities that you could uh, you know, be rewarded with? No, no. Most people do not get jobs. Like I'll say, ninety nine point nine percent of people don't get jobs um, mm-hmm. after being a field organizer. Um, so. What I did uh, was I hustled. Um, I think one of my things that I do well is a hustle. I'm pretty resilient. And I think I think after working for the campaign, my mom kind of gave me a challenge. She's like, what, you're like early 20-something. Um, you're not going to get a job from the president. You're, you're, you're stoned or something. What's going on here? You're not, you're not going to get a job from the president. There's no way. So I took that as a challenge, and I just hustled to um, email everyone that I knew that was in the campaign that was going to be part of the advance committee um, that was going to be either a cabinet official or somehow related to the uh, administration and just keep, kept emailing them for a couple of weeks. And then I got a call from the White House saying, hey, I would love to interview you. And from there, it was just kind of worked out. Got it. So what, what did you learn from government that the rest of us should know 
um, that maybe applies to business. And, and the reason why I ask is, you know, URSA, the big organization that, you know, is, is our umbrella, didn't really have the lobbying dollars to spend and, and the advocacy to turn the health club and fitness industry and halo sector into, mm -hmm. you know, an essential, essential business. So are there any things, anything that you kind of saw as, you know, maybe you got to rethink the way you lobby, um, you know, maybe like there are certain traditional channels or paths that you have to go through and, you know, and then what do you think about government in general? Yeah. So my my experience in government working um, going to working out of the Pentagon and being in the White House often every week um, was pretty eye opening. I, I didn't realize how small like the the White House is and how how humbling it is. It, it's kind of worn out a little bit. Um, but but what I learned quickly from government was that it there's there's a lot of it's a capitalistic government and the country is very capitalistic, which is which is great for entrepreneurs and people starting out. It's it's great opportunity creator. Um, but for URSA or for associations out there, I think, you know, making sure like the dollars win, if you, if you, for example, the, the, um, uh, the, the folks that have a lot of, uh, lobbying money, they can obviously control what bills kind of get out there. Unfortunately, I think there's a lot of kind of dirty money out there in terms of politics. I think that's not great influence, but in terms of lobbying, it's, it's about getting as many signatures as possible to the Hill and getting a champion on the Hill to back up a bill. Um, and making sure there's some money behind it to incentivize that senator or congressperson to uh, push the bill really hard. They need to have some kind of incentive. And really what it comes down to in terms of uh, uh, politics and money, it's it's they need to get reelected. And it really comes down to how much money can you raise to get reelected. It's like they're running mm -hmm. their own small businesses. So if you can say that, you know, the fitness industry can make, I don't know, I don't know, let's say the association can put in more money for your, for your, for your um, campaign. That is a driver for these guys. Unfortunately, um, money has to be behind whatever bill you push push forward. It can't just be for the for the common good. There's a lot of common good things out there, but the ones that have the most money behind it, those are the ones that get the most tension and are pushed forward. Uh, you know, when you take sticking on this on this subject here during COVID, I listened to a um, awesome podcast series called uh, Gangster Capitalism, yeah. and it was about the NRA. Um, and, and they basically had a, you know, not only did they have money coming from, you know, individuals, you know, $40, $50 a year, but they also had, a, you know, a voting block that basically says, Hey, not only are we going to give you money, but we're actually going to show up. So you actually don't need to market to us as a lobbying group, because we're going to basically use that money to get other people to, to vote the way we want it. Is there in your mind, given that you've been in the fitness industry now for a period of time, a way to basically try to get a voting block of, of, you know, healthy people that would be, you know, not only go to a center and say, Hey, we need you to sign this, you know, gym act, but also we got 40 million registered voters. Like I feel like nobody talks about the voting base and what those people could potentially be asked to do. Yeah. I mean, I think it's going to come down to the big guys in the in industry, like let's say the Pelotons or the 24 hour fitness, et cetera coming together and lobbying for whatever they're, they're, they're looking for. Um, 40 million signatures, uh, it's not directly correlated. Let's say you pass a bill, you're not going to immediately get 40 million votes. That's not how it works. Sure. It's more variable according to the different uh, uh, platforms that they have. So having the big guys in the industry that have money, um, have them kind of be the, the front of it and put them all together in, in one industry and kind of uh, push hard on a bill or, or, or direction 
that's going to be very helpful. I don't really know what's going on in terms of on, on the Hill with, with, uh, with lobbying in the fitness industry, mm-hmm. but um, if anyone needs help with that, I'm happy to talk through that. But right, that's great. Cool. Yeah. Liz Clark is the, uh, is the head of Versa and a, a close friend of ours. So we will definitely uh, make that connection. Uh, they are moving the industry association from Boston down to uh, DC uh, and turn it more into a, a you know an advocacy advocacy group and not just a trade show sure. you know organization. Um, sticking with this for one more minute, you know, you obviously there when you know Michelle Obama was you know doing the the, the move, um, getting people off the couch. Um, you know, I think that kind of halted for a period of time when there was a change in the administration. But what's your long term view on policies that may be able to you know, have somebody pay for, you know, Zomo uh, live classes or a health club can get reimbursed, you know, $10 for everyone that does a live class or, um, you know, do, do you think there's hope for government subsidies, handouts, rewards, or do you think, you know what, let, let the capitalist environment be capitalist and like, don't try and use the government as like a, you know, a step tool. Yeah. Unfortunately, um, Fitness is still seen as kind of like a luxury item. While I still believe it's something that's staple in people's lives, it should be, especially with the obesity rates um, going to where they are. Uh, I don't believe the government will do something uh, right away just because think of like internet, for example, there's subsidies for internet now, but it should have been, there should have been subsidies like 20 years ago, 15 years ago. Right. It's, a, it's a necessary thing, just like electricity, healthcare. There's a lot of items on the, on the shopping block that just don't get attention that should. Um, so I don't, I don't believe it's going to happen. I think we have to look at the industry in a capitalistic view and find out how can we get fitness to as many people as possible, as fast as possible, as cheap as possible. Yeah. So, so let's talk about Zomo fit. Um, you know, if if you want to feature a couple of clients or, you know, what kind of usage you saw, you know, how are things kind of, you know, normalizing if you will. And, um, you know, obviously there's a lot of negative press coming out, not, have anything to do with you, but, you know, with Peloton changing their business model with IFIN not going public with F45 missing their earnings, you know, we're in this kind of, uh, you know, digestion period, if you will, mm-hmm. um, with a lot of indigestion to say, Hey, maybe some of these companies should have never been valued the way they were. Maybe yeah. Some of these companies should have never accessed the public markets because they didn't know what they were getting into. Yeah. Um, you know, and once you become a public company, you become a target and you become a news source. Uh, so everything you do is, you know, is, is publicly disclosed and all your numbers you know, are disclosed. And that kind of becomes a barometer, if you will, for groups like yours. If you're going out and raising capital right now, like you got headwinds of, you know, why are you different than Peloton? How are you different than these other companies? So it kind of creates this negative inertia to almost fight the capital raise. So how, how do, there's bundled questions in there, but maybe just, you know, give us your take. Yeah. So let me unpack that. Um... I think it's important to look at the the longer term trends versus looking at what's happening short term. Just like Warren Buffett, for example, he looks at long term t- trends in the market versus just kind of day trading. Um, and so, fitness as an industry is going digital, um, uh, and and it's and it's growing too at the same time. So I'm not saying that everything that's physically brick and mortar is going digital. That's not what I'm saying. Instead, I'm saying the whole industry is inflate, it's getting larger um, as a space. And so virtual fitness right now is an $8 billion opportunity. It's pegged to be a $60 billion opportunity in the next couple of years. Um, mm-hmm. And virtual fitness is, 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 is definitely going to rocket ship in the next couple of years. In terms of the Pelotons out there, the iFit folks out there, um, 
it's it sucks. I mean, it sucks that they're going through the, their own issues and uh, some of these guys couldn't IPO, but there's short-term kind of adjustments in the industry. I think some of these guys over-projected what the pandemic would do for their business. Um, there's a mistake on their part, but still, they're going to be, they're still great companies. They're still uh, giant companies. And just like, for example, crypto, cryptocurrencies, it's getting crapped on right now, like heavily, like cryptocurrency, everyone's running away from it or or making fun of it. In the long term, right. crypto is is a is a changer in in the markets. It's still going to be long term, like humongous impact. Short term, there's, there's issues. So that's a, that's what I believe in. And so I would tell people, look at what's happening to if you're a fitness professional, look at what's happening to uh, your friends, look at what's happening to your customers. Um, I think a lot of gyms are starting to get back uh, a lot of a lot of folks back into the gym. But long term, let's say when it starts getting colder um, and uh, people are. People want some type of digital interface to their workouts. So one of the things that has irritated me that I want to get your take on sure. is I bought a Soul Cycle bike, um, you know, one of the first ones off the production line. And there were, you know, a dozen instructors. Now it's maybe 30 or 40. Yeah. Um, I always felt the power of the cult, if you will, which I am a part of, mm-hmm. and proud Soul Cycle carrying, you know, a credit card member of. $34 classes um, <laughs> is that you've got all these micro rock stars all over the place. Right. So why wouldn't you give me the ability to access every single person that is an instructor at a bricks and mortar location and give me the option of following them because everybody's got a hundred, 200, 300, you know, passionate followers, which would then drive way more, you know, usage of the bike and, and, and of the app. So my question to you is when you go into a club or a studio and you say, hey, look, I'm going to do all your live classes, but I want you to, to either limit to like your top, you know, photogenic and, and strong performers on the on the video side that you'll opine on. Or, hey, look, let's get everybody up there. Just trust me, like there's a power of a network yeah. and it's better to have everyone up there because they're also championing it as if they belong there. So what, right. what's your take on that? In terms of giving more access to the instructors, in terms of more instructors, the- like if you've got twenty instructors, get all twenty instructors up on your on your video on demand. Yeah, or not. I think the what the industry is doing right now is kind of um, replicating what Success Peloton has had um, and copying in terms of like having a couple handful of instructors and leveraging those guys and making these guys superstars and and kind of head up the, the brand. I think that's what they're kind of doing. I think that's gonna change very soon. And that's kind of what um, I'm betting on and I believe it. Um, so let me actually talk about what ZomaFit's doing in terms yeah. of the, the whole, whole company. Um, so the pandemic hit and a lot of fitness creators had to figure out what they're gonna do in terms of uh, making money. They had to eat, they had to pay their bills. And so a lot of folks started running classes over Zoom and Venmo. Zoom for live classes, uh, group classes, and Venmo to collect payments. There's a lot of issues with this workflow. Zoom, there's Zoom bombers. It's not really built for fitness. Um, and Venmo, the creators have to chase after their customers for payments, which kind of sucks. Not fun. And it's a lot of time wasted. Um, so as a consumer of these Zoom workouts, I thought there's, I love the two-way video, the hyper-personalization. I thought there was a lot of value in that. Um, I thought there could be a better experience for these guys. So I built Zomo, which enables any fitness professional to live stream, build a paid community, and monetize at Peloton level with just a phone. So let me unpack that a little bit here. So what that means is that why Zomo is such a big deal is that we are giving any fitness creator a way to um, go digital really easily. Our app is super simple to use. 
Um, it's past the mom test. My mom can even use it and, and get online <laughs> and run a class. Um, uh, you don't need a computer science degree. The second part of it is that the fitness professionals don't have to waste time chasing after customers. They can just accept payments kind of like how e-commerce does it. Um, and the third part of it is there's millions of people out there, consumers that want to get online, but they still want to be connected with their favorite trainer or favorite fitness professional and not go to these Pelotons because there's hyper-personalization. There's two-way video. There's, there's, there's sessions where I'm called out and they can see me. I'm like, that's, that's what accountability is about. I believe Peloton's touching the surface. I think the hyper-personalization is what um, these trainers really need to stand out against Peloton. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, when you take a look at your business model, you know, we, you, we use our mission as, you know, we want to solve loneliness, diabetes, and, and obesity. And the way we do that is bring entrepreneurs like you, get a showcase, get more clients, their entail, we'll get more members, get people off the couch, and then there'll be more capital that comes in because there's more disposable dollars that are being shifted around profitably. Um, when you take a look at your business model, do you ever stop and say, hey, look, I'm only doing classes for bricks and mortar. Or I'll do any fitness professional that wants to get on my system like you are a potential client. Have you kind of needed to think about, um, you know, am I supporting the bricks and mortar? Am I supporting the entire industry? Does it matter as long as it's, you know, doing good? Yeah. Yeah. uh, So I I think our our target market of of people we're trying to help are the solo entrepreneurs. Um, I think they they hurt the most during the pandemic because they didn't have um, they didn't have some money coming in from the government, whatever it is, they were reliant on themselves to make money. And so our, our software is an app-based software because it's it's built for these solo entrepreneurs that left their, their gyms. Um, you know, I know a couple of different trainers that left like Barry's Bootcamp um, and they're, they're Instagram famous and they tried to build their own virtual fitness and it was a mess. And so they came to us, use our technology to get online rapidly within, within minutes and start running live classes. So we're really focused on these individuals. And I believe being digital, you don't need to have this, this large overhead. Like you're, uh, it just, you just don't need having a huge team. You can run a full business, make over 120K a year with hundred clients by yourself um, without right. much help. That's what I believe in. Gotcha. Yeah. So as you look at the industry, obviously there's a, there's, there were very low barriers to entry during COVID. Um, you know, we got pitched on, a multitude of opportunities of we're going to do the live classes and we're going to stream this. And, you know, people were pulling things up from YouTube and, you know, creating like some pretty good user interface, but it was, you know, kind of strung together in March and April, you know, so like for, it was like a 45 day development schedule, you know, as you kind of look at things getting more, um, you know, traditional types of competition, um, you kind of say, hey, look, I'm just going to stick to what I'm doing. Um, obviously, there's a big consolidation wave going on in the software and the SaaS space. Mm-hmm. So how do you as an entrepreneur, you know, for, for the people here that say, you know, my business isn't always for sale. Um, I like what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. I'm making good money. I'm living in New York City. Yeah. You know, I got a staircase in my apartment, right? It's pretty cool. I don't think it's a faux circuit. So how do you say, look, I like what I'm doing. I don't need to play this M&A game. I don't need to go get a job from somebody else. I don't need to read a purchase agreement. Like I'm good. So like, how do you kind of transcribe that to yourself and then back to your mom? Yeah. I mean, here's, here's the truth of the matter is that um, starting your own business is difficult um, and, and leaving a large gym is difficult to do that. 
but um, yeah, it, it's difficult to do on your own. So lowering the barrier to entry into software that actually makes people money, that's the important thing. So, so one thing that, that to make clear here is that we're not actually bringing customers to the users. Instead, we're offering customers SMBs is to uh, fitness providers is to be able to tap into their existing network of customers. And so instead of saying that you're going fully digital or you're going partially hybrid, I think what we're doing is following in the footsteps of what Shopify has done. Um, for example, what Shopify has done really well is they've um, been able to help brick and mortar stores uh, get online and sell their, their stuff, their, their inventory online, but while also selling stuff locally. Um, they've done that really well. And a lot of these brick and mortar stores are making more money online than they are in person. So. I'm not saying replace one or the other. It's just another arm of your business and you need to adapt with the new coming times. Um, and it, this happens to all industries. Like for example, car, car industry, cars, for example, are now uh, becoming electric. The whole industry has to catch up. It's gonna be self-driving soon. The whole industry has to catch up. What are we gonna do with all the drivers? It's about ad adapting and evolving to the industry. If you wanna stay in person, if that's your thing, makes sense, then, then go for it. But if you want another a revenue stream, as you should have multiple revenue streams, but this is an option for you guys, uh, for Fitness Pros to try out. That's great. We'll have all the info in the show notes. Uh, given all your experiences, I'm sure you got a, a, a litany of quotes, but you got any uh, good business quotes or personal quotes that, uh, that you want to share with us here? Sure. Um, one thing I'll say before the quote is um, our, our big vision is to, um, you know, the $60 billion opportunity that that's going to be virtual fitness in the next couple of years. Our vision here is to become the uh, the software that's powering this this industry. So that's that's our ultimate mission here. Um, and and in terms of your quotes, uh, I think the 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 quote I live by is uh, by Richard Branson. Let's screw it, let's do it. Um, he he's about not overthinking things and just executing on things. Um, and then from executing on things, you'll learn where you fail and then adapt to it. I think that's a really good quote to live by. Right. All right. Well, I'm glad we connected. Uh, officially welcome to the halo sector good to have your uh, your passion your grit your uh perseverance uh you know infused in here and thanks for uh helping everybody out and uh, i'm sure the results will continue to uh to come through so we will be in touch and uh we will see you in person as well awesome thank you pete and david take it easy thanks guys